continue to remember to pray for our, for our nation, for our, our leaders. We need to pray for our president and uh, for his advisors that they will have wisdom. Amen? This is not a time for politics. This is not a time for us to say, you know, who we're for, or who we're against, or which party we, we support. It's not about that. This is a time where we need to come together in faith and we need to pray for our nation and for our leaders um, because there are some, uh, some very challenging circumstances at hand. Um, some of you have been wondering, our church has um, made some contributions, and those of you who have been contributing to our Benevolence Fund, um, we've made several contributions uh, to, uh, to bring relief in Haiti. Uh, we made a contribution to Samaritan's Purse as well as Convoy of Hope, $1,000 each, and we also made a contribution to um, support the Assemblies of God World Missions effort to bring relief to um, refugees in Afghanistan at $1,000. So um, that's first of other contributions that will be made as things continue to, uh, to develop in, in the weeks to come. But uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your support to our benevolence fund and uh, our deacons are continuing to monitor things and provide the relief that's needed. Amen. How many are going to continue to pray? Pray for Afghanistan, pray for Haiti, pray for, for our nation, and pray also for Pastor Sandy and Pastor Chris. Uh, this morning at 12.15 a.m., Pastor Sandy gave birth to a little girl. Yeah. So, uh, six pounds, six ounces, 19 inches, uh, full health, perfectly healthy, and everybody's doing well. Uh, don't have a name yet, so, uh, so I think they're, they're still trying to figure that one out. But um, I told Pastor Chris, I tell everybody to text him their suggestions, but don't do that. I, I think they'll, they'll figure it out on their own. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's continue to pray. Let's do that now. Father, we just pray for uh, Pastor Sandy, that, Lord, you will be with her as she's recovering now, God, from delivery. We pray, God, for this baby, Lord, this little, this precious little girl. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this life, Lord, and we pray that your hand will be upon her as she grows and strengthens each minute, each day, Lord God. Bless Pastor Chris, Pastor Sandy, Lord, as they take these, uh, these new steps, Lord, in their family and in parenthood and, and in life, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. All right. Amen. It's good to see George and Joyce Butron with us this morning, some missionaries we support out there in Singapore. Good to have you guys with us today. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, the book of Acts. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts. Today we're in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This is a, uh, a story that is familiar to many of us. And um, just felt the Lord speak to my heart about some, um, some things here. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer. This is Luke who is uh, writing the book of Acts and he's saying we went to prayer. He's traveling with Paul and Silas and Timothy. And so he says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. 
Let me read that again. It's crucial for us to get a fix on this. A certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This is a demon speaking through this, this girl, saying these things. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. I want to talk today from this subject, the power in the prison. And um, we're going to see what that power is all about as we move through the, uh, the text here. But I just want to start by reminding us that if you stand for God and truth and the things of God in this world, you will likely get into trouble. Everybody say trouble. Right now in Afghanistan, the Taliban, we are hearing reports going house to house um, looking for Christians. And um, they are searching through devices, phones, and looking for Christian apps or, or Bibles, and, uh, and they are executing Christians. In other places like Nigeria, Iran, North Korea, Somalia, the Sudan, uh, persecution of Christians is severe. Last year, in 2020, uh, statistics, statistics tell us that 340 million Christians in the world are experiencing intense persecution. That's up from 260 million in 2019. Things are escalating quickly. Every day, 13 Christians are killed for their faith. 12 are imprisoned. And uh, around 12 churches are attacked around the world every day. Now, it's not as extreme here in the U.S., but we are on a slippery slope. Many Christians here in the U.S. are being harassed or being marginalized if they express their faith. Others could lose their, their jobs or be demoted if they stand for biblical values. Christians are demonized in, in Hollywood, are accused as extremists by the media, are seen as a dangerous political group by those on the left. And all of this is preparing culture, American culture, I believe, for a wave of discrimination and harassment and persecution that is on the horizon. And this brings us to Acts chapter 16, where Paul and his entourage are in the city of Philippi, and they walk into a part of that city that is under the strong influence of a demon. This little slave girl was possessed by a demon spirit, and that spirit would read the fortunes of people and give them advice for their problems and for their conflicts and for the decisions in their lives. The people thought that this demon was helping them, but it wasn't. It was a demon. And when I look at this story, I see 
a reflection of our culture today. We are listening to cultural elites and the celebrity class re-engineering culture today, and many people are going to them for guidance and for enlightenment and for wisdom, thinking that they are helping us, but they are not. In fact, I would go so far as to say is that many of the philosophies that we are hearing today are demonic in influence. Now, I know that um, I might lose some of you today because you might say, well, Pastor Greg, I don't believe in demons. I'm too educated for that. I'm too sophisticated for that. I'm too intellectual for that. I have a master's degree. I have a, a PhD. And that's fine. You can not believe in demons if you want, but understand, Jesus believed in demons. He did battle with them regularly. Paul believed in demons. We read about it right here. The Bible teaches that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So you can not believe in demons if you want, but that is exactly how the enemy maintains a foothold in culture today because people and even the church has lost its ability to discern the demonic and to call it out. 1 John 5.19 says, We are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This is why American culture, our culture, is so much like the culture of Philippi. We think that the experts and the scientists and the doctors are so sophisticated when they say abortion is helping our culture. But it's not. It's not helping. It's a demon. Murdering unborn children in our nation at the rate of over 800,000 a year. It's demonic. We think that the LGTBQ message is helping us, but it's not. It's breeding confusion of identity into an entire generation and setting them up for demonic control. And we're reaping this bad harvest now in in this emergence and this prevalence of transgenderism. We think transgender theories are helping us, but they're not. Giving nine-year-olds hormone blockers and mutilating post-adolescents through gender affirmation surgeries because they have insecurity issues. It's not helping us. It's demonic. We think that promiscuous living, cohabitation, men and women moving in together without marriage, is helping us, is making us a better society, but it's not. It's producing a culture of families without the blessing of God that comes upon the marital covenant. We think critical race theories are helping us, but it's not. It's a form of academic racism where we judge each other not based on the content of our character, but on the color of our skin. Like Philippi, we think the slave girl is helping us, but it's not. 
It's a demon. So Paul walks into Philippi, sees the demon, calls it out, and casts it out. Despite how many people think it's helping them, and how profitable it has become to some, he casts it out. Now why would he do that? Why would he walk into a town and disrupt it so so much and start so much trouble? Why would he do that? Because that's what we do. We are the church. We do not accommodate the strongholds of the enemy to maintain peace. We do not conform to cultural delusion to maintain peace. We do not traffic in lies. We operate in truth. Now here's what's interesting. The demon there in Philippi first... Now look at this. First, tried to make Paul an ally before it attacked him as an enemy. It says the girl followed Paul and says, these are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. This is a demon saying this. Why would a demon do this? I believe the demon was actually trying to gain credibility for itself. The enemy could not deny the power, the authority, the influence of Paul's ministry. So rather than resist it initially, the enemy tried to connect himself to it. By affirming the credibility of the apostles and associating, trying to associate itself with them, the devil was hoping to affirm and to elevate its own credibility. Like a politician. You know, like politicians who try to find people of integrity. You know, a police chief or a military hero or, or, or a pastor. Someone known for credibility and the politician will try to elevate that person next to himself or herself to gain credibility for its, himself or herself. It's, it's trying to gain integrity by association. The enemy will try to make you an ally before he attacks you as an adversary. He'll try to get you to conform, to comply, either by force or flattery, to become an ally in its deception. Paul, I'll boost your reputation. I'll validate you. I'll promote you. I'll open doors for you if you'll just comply with my message. Listen, Christ followers, in this day, we, we, we cannot be ignorant of, of the enemy's devices. We must be people of discernment. Be careful what you agree to and who you align yourself with. The lies of culture are trying to gain credibility by tethering to the people of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Be careful, of, be careful what people and policies and philosophies you comply with and connect to. Be careful of giving credibility to a delusion that has our culture in its grip. Be careful of giving credibility 
to a deception by conforming to it. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may do what? Prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So verse 18 says, Paul was greatly annoyed. He wasn't flattered. He wasn't falling for it. He would not comply. He turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out. (laughs) Hallelujah. Isn't that powerful? Amen. And he came out that very hour. Paul was greatly annoyed. He was grieved in his spirit. When you walk in in discernment, when you walk in discernment, darkness, deception, the delusion that people carry around you will grieve your spirit. Has anybody ever had their spirit grieved? Amen? Amen. And there will be times you cannot conform and you have to call it out. The enemy will try to make us an ally, will try to befriend us, but there will be those times when you will discern and it will grieve your spirit and you will need to call it out. Sorry, I can't get behind, I can't get behind transgender theories that pull children into a delusion and reinforce the lie that they're living in. I can't support politicians who advocate for the murder of children in a mother's womb. I'm not okay with platforming LGTBQ ideals to first graders with drag queen story hour in the local library. It grieves my spirit and it should grieve your spirit too. Do not become an ally. Do not accommodate. Do not comply. That is not what we do. When we walk into Philippi and we see the delusion, we should be grieved by it and stand against it and call it out. But understand, when you, when you, when we push back and resist the lies of this world, it won't be easy. Verse 19 says, when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, it's interesting how somebody always manages to see how these things can make a profit for them. They traffic in the delusion. They traffic in the lies. Amen? We need to have discernment about that. They saw that their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them. Get this mental picture. They dragged them into the marketplace, into the central square of the city to the authorities. When you put yourself in opposition to the prevailing delusion, the city will turn against you. Isaiah 59, verse 15 says, When truth fails, he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. They drag them to the marketplace to openly shame them and humiliate them. Verse 20, And they said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Notice how they lied. Did you pick that up? They teach customs that are contrary to us, being because they couldn't tell the truth. They couldn't say, They cast a demon out of our slave girl that we were using to deceive the people and hold them into delusion so we could extort money from them. They couldn't say that, could they? 
No, they needed a narrative. They needed an explanation that was more palatable, more sophisticated, more agreeable. It's called spin. You know what I'm talking about, right? We call it today, we call it an alternative lifestyle. We call it gender fluidity. We call it a woman's right to choose. We call it critical race theory. And if you call it out, and you would dare to expose the delusion for what it is, you will be branded as a bigot, as a hater, as a homophobe, as a right-winger, as a racist, as a Nazi, as a Taliban. Now, you might get the girl delivered, but the city is going to hate you. You might win a debate. You might make a good case. You might get one person free and delivered out of homosexuality, but the city will hate you. The city will brand you. The city will drag you into prison. Facebook even has something called jail. Verse 22, Then the multitudes rose up together. The multitudes rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes, stood them naked in the town square, commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid not just a few, many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, the deepest, darkest, coldest, insect-infested, surrounded by rats and feces and the smell, and fastened their feet in the stocks. So what do you do? When you've been faithful to God and you've stood your ground and you've refused to conform and you find yourself under attack, mistreated, maligned, cast down, unfairly branded, what do you do? Here's what Paul and Silas did at midnight. Everybody say midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. A couple of things to do. A couple of instructions for us when we get ourselves into trouble by standing for God. Everybody understands that's what this story is about, right? It's more than, well, I just had some financial hardship and so I'm trusting God. Or, you know, I've gone through some challenges, you know, physically and I'm trusting God. It's more about, these guys were in prison because they, stuck, they took a stand for God in their culture. Let's not dilute, let's not water down this, what this story is about. And why God came to their rescue. Get the context here. So a few things that we do when we find ourselves cast into a prison. Number one, pray. Can you say pray? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were, what were they doing? They were doing what? Not just singing hymns. 
They were praying. We love the singing part, right? And most of the time when you hear this, this, this text preached, that's what is focused on. Go ahead and pull it up on YouTube. Listen to the thousands of sermons. This is one of the most popular texts to preach on. And when you listen to the preacher preach, they usually step over the part about praying and they get right into the praise and worship part. And how praise and worship will bring an, an earthquake, right? But here's the thing that we need to realize. If there's no prayer in your life, there'll be no power in your praise. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If there's no prayer in your life between Sundays, then there'll be no power in your praise on Sunday. And many of us are suffering needlessly in some prison of the enemy because we don't pray. I submit to you that there would not have been any earthquake in their praise without prayer. I believe an earthquake was scheduled. I believe that God, in His wisdom and foreknowledge and sovereignty, was planning for an earthquake, that the tectonic plates were so arranged and underground volcanic activity was occurring. God willed for it to happen. But here's the thing about God. God wills and then He waits. Waits for what? Waits for someone on earth to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God has an earthquake scheduled for you He has a deliverance scheduled for you. He's willed it, but He's waiting. For what? For those of us who have the authority in this broken world, in Jesus' name, who've been given the instrument called faith and the weapon of warfare called prayer. He waits for us to lift our hands in that prison cell, that darkness, and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, make a way. Step in. Bring a breakthrough. Do only, God, what you can do. He wills, and then he waits. John Wesley said, God does nothing on earth except in answer to believing prayer. So they prayed, number one. The second thing they did is they praised They did praise. Verse 25, they were praying, singing hymns to God. And I like this part, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's interesting, you know, you put yourself in that prison and you hear there are these songs that are being sung at midnight. Now to the prisoners in the jail, it just sounded like two guys singing songs. They had never heard praise and worship before. It just sounded like a couple guys singing songs. But to Paul and Silas, it wasn't just singing, it was warfare. Because praise is a weapon. How many understand that? Worship is a weapon. Psalm 8.2 says that, God, through praise, you establish a stronghold to silence the enemy. Do you realize that your praise that comes out of your mouth silences the enemy? It silences the lies of the enemy in your head? Remember when when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, right around verses 3 and 5, he wrote that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, right? Not carnal, but spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments 
and every high thing in our mind, every lie that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And Paul knew about this firsthand when he wrote that to the the church at Corinth, because I imagine in that prison, the enemy was tormenting Paul's mind. The enemy coming alongside of him while his back is throbbing from the thrashing he received and his his feet are locked up in the the stocks being bruised and and the skin being torn open in in those abrasive wooden splintery stocks. And the enemy comes alongside of Paul and says, see, this is what you get when you serve God. You walked all these miles to get to this place. You preached the, the gospel and look where it got you. You were better off as a Pharisee. You were better off in Jerusalem with your, with your family. Why did you come here? Why did you give all that up? Why are you doing this? Look at how it's ruining your life. Paul had to bring every thought into captivity. He had to pull down those arguments in his mind, the lies and the delusion of the enemy that was exalting itself in his mind against the knowledge of God. Hallelujah. And so what did he do? He praised I don't, know what, I don't know what his song was. I know what my song would be. <laughs> Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It's not just singing, it's warfare. It's recentering our spirit in the truth of God. It's refusing to allow discouragement and depression and fear to grip us. It's reminding ourselves who God is in our lives. That He is bigger than any prison cell. That He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Amen? Listen, it's easy to praise God after the miracle shakes the prison and opens the gates. It's easy to praise God when that happens. But it's hard to praise Him when you're locked in a dungeon with little hope. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But that's the praise of Acts 16. That's the power of praise. The praise that our God is looking for. The high praise that brings a breakthrough in our lives. Hebrews 13 calls it the sacrifice of praise. It's the praise that we offer when our flesh doesn't feel like praising. Have you ever had that kind of praise? Right? Your flesh doesn't want to go to church. Your flesh doesn't want to worship. Your flesh doesn't want to lift its hands. It just wants to sit there and be annoyed and depressed. Right? But that's the praise that God's looking for. The sacrifice of praise. It says, God, you're good. Even when this doesn't feel very good, Lord. God, you cause all things to work together for the good. Even though the things that I'm facing right now are horrible and tragic, Lord, I know you're working things together, God. You take what the enemy meant for evil, the stripes on my back, the stocks around my feet, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it around and you use it for good. That's the kind of praise 
that God inhabits. That's the kind of praise that brings the earthquake. That's the kind of praise that brings God into our situation. It's the warfare kind of praise. Amen? So they prayed and they praised. And something else, something else that that we need to do is we need to preach in our prison. Always remember that even if you're being harassed and even if you're, you're being criticized and, and, and mistreated and unfairly labeled, remember that you are a witness for Christ and people are watching. In every situation, every circumstance, we are witnesses for Christ. Amen? Verse 27, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. We're still... He's a better man than I am. I'd have been out of that prison in a minute. But Paul, you know, yeah, he's kind of up here. And Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I be do to be... I don't know what you got, Paul, but all I know is that I need it in my life. I don't know why you're able to be so peaceful and so strong and so confident when you're sitting here in a prison having been beaten and stripped naked and bound up in stocks and put in this stenchful place. I don't know how it is that you're able to be so strong and so confident and so secure. I don't know what it is, but I know I want it. That's the kind of witness, the testimony that we need to have when we stand for God and the city turns against us and they curse us and accuse us and still we say, my God is faithful. And I'm going to serve Him. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to Him. They preached and to all who were in His house. And He took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately He and all His family were baptized. Understand, God is always looking to save people. Do we believe that? God He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is looking for people. He wanted to save the slave girl. He wanted to save the jailer. He wanted to save the jailer's family. God wants to use you everywhere you go, every place you're in. God is after people that are around you. Are you hearing this? And if you're willing to be used, He'll use you. If you're willing... To be beaten with rods and thrown in a prison, he'll save a jailer. If you're willing to resist the devil's work in the life of a little slave girl and get yourself into trouble doing so, God will use you to deliver an entire people from the delusion of Satan's lies. Sometimes the only reason God allows you to get into trouble and in prison is because there's just that one soul He's trying to save. Amen? God will put you in that place, that hard place, because there's someone in that hard place that can only be reached by you being in that hard place. But here's the key. We've got to be willing to go into the hard, the hard place. And the last thing, the last thing that... Uh, we see that Paul and Silas did here. This is, I find this very interesting. So they prayed, they praised, they preached. And then the fourth thing is prosecute. What does that mean? 
to prosecute. It means be wise and use the systems of this world to advocate for the gospel. Verse 35, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officer saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. In other words, I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights. And have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Paul said, I'm not going to crawl away into the night so that they can get off the hook. No, no, no. I have rights and they mistreated me unfairly. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were what? Afraid when they heard that they were what? Romans. Paul is basically showing us, he's saying that if you're treated unfairly and your rights are violated that have been given to you by the system, then it is not wrong for you to leverage those rights in your favor to even advance the gospel. We live in a country that has given us the right to worship freely. Amen? Yes? And, and a country that allows us to advocate for our sincerely held religious Beliefs, that's a religious phrase. I mean, a legal phrase. Sincerely held religious beliefs. That's why we codified in our Constitution a couple of years ago certain cultural issues. How many remember that? Right? Understand what the policies are where you work, in your school, on your team, and if those policies violate your legal rights, exercise those rights and push back against what's being done to you unfairly. How many are hearing what I'm saying? Don't just crawl away into the night. Don't just cower away and just say, oh, thank God we got away with that. No, no, no. no, no. If they mistreated you, then let your voice be heard. Amen. Last year, Governor Cuomo tried to shut down churches. In a backhanded run, he tried to say, well, only church, you can have church, but no more than 10 people can come in because of COVID. The Catholic Church, along with the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is an organization, legal advocating group that we're a part of, challenged Governor Cuomo's ruling, or his executive order, before the Supreme Court and won, saying that they were violating our religious freedoms by limiting worship. Amen. So be wise. Yes? Let's stand together. Don't you love the Word of God? Power in the prison. Father, thank You for Your Word. <clears throat> thank You, Lord God, for the truth that it brings to us. And uh, Father, I just want to pray, God, that Lord, as we've sat here under the preaching of the Word, that Your Spirit will take these truths and pierce our hearts with them. We, to recognize that, Lord, we help us to see, Lord, we're living in a day where we can't be silent. 
where the enemy is trying to make us allies through compliance. Help us to recognize, Lord God, that the church is the hope of the world. The church is the vehicle that you have established to bring truth to this, to this generation. I pray, God, that you'll give us wisdom and boldness, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, give me wisdom and boldness. Give me wisdom in this world and boldness in this world. Come on, if that's, if that's your prayer, just slip up a hand and say, yes, Lord, I, I need wisdom and I need boldness, God. I need wisdom and I need boldness, God. Lord, I surrender myself to your will. Help me, Lord, to discern where the enemy is trying to deceive. And Lord, that I would not become complicit in that. Come on, lift up that other hand and say, yes, Lord. Help me, Lord, to have discernment and to not be complicit in the delusion, the spirit of delusion that has gripped this world. Give me wisdom, Lord. Give me boldness, Lord. Give me discernment, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus name Father for those that need to go to get their kids Lord I want to release them with your blessing and pray God that this word will just settle deep in their spirit for those that want to remain I pray God your presence will meet with us in a powerful way if you need to go you can go especially parents getting their kids Um, but uh, Eddie's going to lead us in a little bit of worship here and I want you to feel free to just linger worship the Lord we're going to open the altars if you need prayer listen if you're in a situation right now where you feel like Man, you're discerning things in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are. And you need wisdom and boldness to be able to stand firm and to navigate those things. You come on up here. We want to we we pray with you. Amen? Amen?